It's a very special night tonight, isn't it? Because we get to come to the church and we get to worship the Lord. Thought about preaching a 15 or 20 point message tonight just to test your sanctification. I know that some of you are considering other things. If you have no idea what's going on, then that's a wonderful place to be. And uh, we'll be focused upon the word of the Lord tonight. Revelation chapter 21. I was told we're passing a, monu- a uh, monumental occasion this weekend. It's four years that we've been in the study of Revelation. How about that? So you are well versed in the book of Revelation and I'm getting there. <laughs> Revelation chapter 21 and uh, we're going from verses 9 to 12 this evening. Revelation chapter 21 verses 9 to 12. <clears throat> Reading from verse 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a great wall, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Let's pray. We thank you, our Father, this evening that we can come and we can study your word. And uh, Lord, we praise you for the guidance that it gives to us. Uh, Lord, if it wasn't for the book of Revelation and it wasn't for the rest of the scriptures, uh, we would know nothing about the things that await us. And Lord, we pray that tonight as we learn about those things, that it might affect the way that we live now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On our last visit to the book of Revelation, we started to survey the new Jerusalem, the place that is to be our eternal home if we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We had a look at uh, the first three points of that city and they were really pertaining to the external appearance. First of all, we looked at the recurring gune, which is the picture of the bride city, how the idea of a bride and a city are tied together. We saw that the residing glory was the preeminent feature of that city, the brightness, the shining. And we saw that the walls were functioning as a reassuring girdle, which promoted the eternal security of those within the city. And there are just a few more features of its appearance that are noted here, and so we're going to continue our study and our alliteration as we go on through the rest of Revelation chapter 21. So we come to our fourth point of the feature of the city, and that is the resplendent gates. Verse 12, we read that the city had a a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Now when we talk about a gate, you might get the idea in your mind of a lovely little white picket fence that you open and walk down towards a pathway. That is not the idea of a gate when we consider the scriptures. These are gates to a city. Gates to a city function as the only opening in the border protection wall that surrounds a city. 
And as you would know, when you have an opening in a protective wall, you need to make that opening, you need to fortify that opening. And that's exactly what we should think of when we think about these gates in the city. At each of these 12 gates, we would usually find, at each of the gates of a city, we would usually find guards and uh, means by which those gates can be defended. And at each of the 12 gates of the New Jerusalem, we find an angel. As we saw last week, uh, there are no enemies that threaten this city. All of those who would oppose those who live in this city and God himself have already been condemned to their eternal damnation. And so there is no threat to this city, thus the walls are not to prevent invasion and those who stand at the gates are not to ward off invaders either. These probably add to the picture of security that the walls and the gates form in the minds of the city's inhabitants. And so the picture is of security for all of those who would live inside. Now, in the foundations of the wall of the city, we found the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. In the gates of the city, we find the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we see how those names are arranged or those gates are arranged in verse 13. It tells us in Revelation chapter 12, verse 13, on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And so these 12 gates are divided onto their four sides with three gates on each side. And this surely reminds us of the camp of Israel as they traveled through the wilderness. The 12 tribes were camped on the four sides of the tabernacle of God. And we see that this is a continuation of what God has already said about the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21. If we look back at verse 3, you'll see that this city is called, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And so the picture is continued as you see the layout of the city. Now we know that the tabernacle in the wilderness was based upon the heavenly tabernacle that was revealed to Moses. We know that Moses brought the pattern down and it was based upon things in the heavenlies. And so we shouldn't be surprised to see that the heavenly things resemble the things upon the earth as well. But what exactly do these gates indicate? Well, first of all, let's note that they are beautiful gates, not just in name, but they are beautiful in appearance. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 21 says, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate, or each gate, was of one pearl. That's where we get our expression, the pearly gates, because the gates of the city are pearl. Now, pearls are precious, and especially in the ancient world, pearls were highly valued because they weren't manufactured by certain cuts or in certain presentations, but they were naturally grown. And so they were very, very highly prized. Now that the gates are inscribed with the names of the tribes of Israel teaches us that Israel is being honoured. The names of Israel are inscribed on the pearl gates, teaches us that the names of the tribes of Israel are being honoured. And that makes sense. 
Because this city is about the glory of God. This city is about the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God was of the seed of the house of Israel. The covenant, the law, the promises, the prophets all belonged to Israel. And it was God's working through Israel that led to the introduction of the gospel. And so Israel had a very important position in people finding the Savior and in the revelation of the word of God that led to the introduction of the gospel. And this fact, Israel's importance is eternally commemorated in the gates of the city. Now, some have suggested that the Old Testament saints, those who are part of the 12 tribes of Israel, don't live inside the New Jerusalem, but these gates teach that they have free access to the New Jerusalem. Now, if that is true, and I'm not convinced that it is true, but it could be, we have to remember that this city, if we are going to say that, we have to remember that this city belongs to Israel as much as it belongs to anyone else. Israel are first-class citizens in this city, and so we should be very careful if we are going to say that. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read from verse 8 to 16. This is specifically about the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll start reading from verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called out to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's the city we're considering, isn't it? Verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. All these died in faith, not having received the promises, But having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them... A city. Who is the new Jerusalem for? Well, it's for Israel, at least in part, isn't it? And so we have to be careful if we are going to separate and say, well, Israel has this part and the church has this part. We must be very careful to recognize that God has prepared for them a city. And that is commemorated in those gate inscriptions. And so we have to be careful The church, I'm not saying uh, churches that believe in the premillennial position, but churches have messed this up in the past. And if you are to consider the treatment of the Jews in the past, you will see that a lot of it came from a privileged position considered by the church and the putting down of the Jewish people. The church has a very privileged position in God's plan. 
but so do all of those who through every generation have come to God by faith. This final destination, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem is the final destination for every single journey of faith, regardless of their dispensation. Every single faithful people throughout history who have had their faith in God will end up at this same destination. And so this city will be the fulfillment of God's great promises to every age. So regardless of the particulars of where they actually live, this belongs to Israel as well. Secondly, or fifthly, if you want to put the two messages together, we see the revealing gold of the city. Revelation chapter 21, we're going to skip down to verse 21 and uh, come back for another verse in just a moment. Revelation 21 and verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several or each gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. I'm sure you've noticed that gold is a very desirable, precious metal. Gold is malleable, which means that it can be beat into very thin sheets. Uh, Its high luster makes it very shiny. That's why it's so important for jewellery. It's a very good conductor. Uh, It's not very reactive, and so that makes it uh, not very corrosive either. And so gold is very important. Gold is very valuable. And as a result of its widespread uses and its beautiful appearance, if you were to go searching for a bar of pure gold tomorrow, your search would probably end up at the door to a locked vault and you would be rejected from going inside it. It's interesting to think though, isn't it, that what we lock in a safe and hide in a vault forms the pavement Of the eternal city. Now, that is not to say that gold loses its value in heaven. It doesn't mean that it's not a precious substance anymore. The point is that the most valuable of earth's commodities are inferior to the riches of heaven. They line the streets, they line the foundation. This is where the best of our jewelry goes. So just Be careful when you're wearing around your precious, beautiful stone or your lovely ring. Just remember, it's concrete in heaven. (laughs) Now, gold not only paves the streets, but gold composes much of the city. If we skip back to verse 18, we read, And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. It's uh, rather fantastic, isn't it, to think of a city that's made of gold. Not just the streets, but also the city itself being made of gold. Now, the gold of the New, Jer- the gold of the New Jerusalem is described as pure gold. If you know your gold, you'll know that that means 24 karat gold here on earth, doesn't it? And that's the cha-ching gold. Uh, 24 karat, when they talk about the carats of gold, it's 24 parts. And so 24 karat gold is 24 of the 24 parts are gold. Nine karat gold is nine of the 24 parts are gold. And that's why nine karat gold is stronger than 24 karat gold. But when we even look at 24 karat gold in our own present age, how does it appear? It's very bright, shiny, 
but it's yellow, isn't it? Can you see through it? No. Bright, yellow, opaque substance. The gold of the New Jerusalem is called clear glass. That word clear is also translated as pure, and so it's talking about having no impurities in it. Pure glass. Or in verse 21, if we have a look at that reference, it talks about gold as transparent glass. Gold-like transparent glass. I would suggest to you that we don't know anything about gold like this. We haven't seen a substance like this so pure or a substance composed in the way that this substance is composed. But you know, if we consider that idea of transparency, there is a theme that runs through the materials that are used to build the new Jerusalem. The gold is shiny and transparent. The precious stones that compose the foundation are mentioned as transparent or some of them are translucent. That means you can't see the definition on the other side, but light can still pass through. Now, why does that matter? Well, the simple truth is that none of those materials prohibit light. And that's very important when it comes to the New Jerusalem. There are no dark corners in the New Jerusalem. Everything is designed to convey or to transmit the light. And what is the light? Well, it's not the sun. It's the glory of God. God's glory permeates every part of the city. And we saw that when we started the description of this city, light not only permeated the city, but light is transmitted from the city clear as crystal. And so nothing is preventing the glory of God from being spread throughout the city. And that's a beautiful picture. And if that if our faith is in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then this is our hope. This is our inheritance, a city made of gold, so pure that we've never seen it before. And having an inheritance waiting for us, an inheritance like this that's not corroding day by day, gold that we know of doesn't corrode very well, but this eternal inheritance will never corrode, will never waste away will always wait there for us, is not decreasing in value no matter how much the share market might crash. Our riches are settled and they will never change. And when we realize that, when we appreciate that, it should stop us from chasing after and hoarding the riches of this world. Because we have something far more precious than anything we could ever gather here. Now that's not my... Um, application of that truth this is what God says let's have a look back in Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 21 God wants us to consider the idea of having treasure in heaven Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I wonder from God's perspective, how would it look? for him to see his children 
chasing after the perishing, inferior riches that are rusting and vanishing away. When he can see from his vantage point the riches that are stored in heaven for us. How pointless would it look to God? You see, we are already rich beyond our wildest dreams. We are already rich. So we need to set our hearts somewhere else. Not upon the riches that we might be able to chase after in this world because you'll never get as much as you're going to get. So why bother? So where should our treasure be if it's not to be on the riches of this world, which is where everybody else's treasure is, right? Where should our treasure be? Well, Jesus urges us to lay up our treasure in heaven. Lay up our treasure in heaven, in eternal things, we might be able to say. Things that last, things that don't waste away, things that are meaningful. So we should go on and ask then, what things is he talking about? It's a good good cliche statement, isn't it? Yeah, lay up your treasure in heaven. But what does it mean? What sort of things should I be investing my time in? I've got a heart right here. It can't be set on the things of this world. So where can I put it? Where should I be laying up my treasure in heaven? Well, the most obvious explanation of that application is works that we do for God. Works of faith. Those things that will be laid up waiting for us when we get to heaven. Those things that we can give back to him and praise him for. But I want to take it even further than that tonight. And I want to talk about things that are going to last. And that's what the treasures in heaven are speaking of. Things that will last. So what things are eternal? What things should we set our affections on? Well, one thing we know is eternal is God. God is eternal. So we could simply say that our treasure ought to be God. Is that true of you tonight? Is God your treasure? Is God precious to your heart? Is God the one that you seek after? Do you yearn to spend time with God each day? Do you make him precious by the way that you structure your life? Is that the case? God ought to be our treasure. But you know, as we draw near to God, God shows us his heart. And God's heart is also for things that last. That God's heart is for the souls of people. God shows us that people, unlike riches, are also eternal. They are, aren't they? Souls will last for eternity and they'll be in one of two places. And so we ought to set our affections on people. We ought to turn to our God and treasure him and then he will share with us a burden to work with people. People are pearls of great price. People are lost but valuable sheep. People are prodigals, like the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15 and verse 7 says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. God rejoices when we set our affections on people, the souls of people, and not just the unsaved that's an important thing but not just the unsaved helping one another grow closer to the lord ought to be our treasure 
That ought to be where our heart is. My ministry in another Christian's life lays up treasure for both them and me in heaven. These things are eternal. And so the glory of the new Jerusalem outshines any riches that we could accumulate in this life. And it should show us the foolishness of chasing after the riches of this life. Don't waste your time collecting pavement. Thirdly and finally, we're going to look at another feature of the New Jerusalem, which is the redundant gateway. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 22. Revelation 21, 22, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. We know that the Jews in Old Testament worship, they would direct their prayers towards the temple. Uh, They would pray even when they were in another country. They would try and face themselves towards the direction of the temple and pray for God's blessing. And that's because within the temple, we would find the holy place. Within the holy place, we would find the Ark of the Covenant and perched there on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, above the mercy seat between the cherubim, would be the glory of God. Exodus chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. God tells them that this is what they were meant to do. He says, And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet thee. And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment, unto the children of Israel. So God would commune with them from that place on top of the ark, between the cherubim, on top of the mercy seat, inside the holy place, inside the temple, in Jerusalem. Very complicated, isn't it? See, in order for people to commune with God, God had to be above the mercy seat where the blood was applied, above the law which proved that people were guilty this was the arrangement by which god could have communion with people and so it was very complicated for god to have a relationship with sinners but in the new jerusalem john sees no temple and because there's no temple there's no holy place there's no ark there's no broken commandments there's no need for the blood to be applied for us to go before the presence of God. Simply says the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. If we can sum this up, it's uncomplicated fellowship. Uncomplicated fellowship with God. Similar to that time in the Garden of Eden where the voice of the Lord walked freely in the garden in communion with mankind. The New Jerusalem is where this uncomplicated fellowship is finally restored. And in spite of all of the treasure and the other people and the undisclosed wonders that we are going to find one day in heaven, this is the true treasure. This is the thing that we really are yearning for in our hearts, whether we realize it or not. It's not the pure gold. It's not the beautiful stones. 
It's communion with God. Uncomplicated relationship with our God. And so to close, ask the question, with all of that to look forward to, what should we treasure now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that the Scriptures just pulls the rug out from underneath us when it comes to materialism. Uh, Lord, there is no reason that we should be seeking after riches that are so inferior to the things that you have promised. Help us, Lord, to be prioritizing the things that truly matter. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to live our life in the light of the things that you've revealed. And we know, Lord, that that's why you've revealed them to us. Uh, we pray that the word of God tonight would affect the way that we live. And we pray, Lord, that that would be the way we always read and we always listen. Father, we pray that you would bless our night now. We pray that you would bless our way as we go. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.